Welcome to the Feeling Bookish Podcast. I'm Robert Fay in Beaverton, Oregon. I'm with Roman Sivkin in Astoria, New York. And we are happy to have Heston Hoffman in inner Southeast Portland, who is recording, and he'll also be joining us today. So uh, welcome, everybody. And uh, today we're going to talk about something that um, is, is uh, been on my mind quite a bit, and we're going to call it anxiety and the reading life. So we'll, we'll sort of dive into that today. But uh, a few announcements before we begin today. Um, we are really, really excited, uh, beyond excited, to let folks know that uh, the author, Helen DeWitt, will be joining the Feeling Bookish podcast uh, early next year. So, um, I mean, what can you say? This is one of the most important American authors um, of the last two decades. She's going to be with us. She's the author of The Last Samurai. Uh, lightning rods, and most recently, a collection of short stories, uh, some tricks. So what can you say? I mean, Roman, Helen DeWitt. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's, uh, it, you know, it's the, the word genius gets tossed around easily nowadays, but uh, she actually might be the real deal. Uh, yeah. And and you just really, really don't meet these kinds of people um, on an everyday basis or even on a monthly basis, you're lucky to bump into one once a decade and yeah. actually talk to them. So really excited. Absolutely. Uh, rereading everything she wrote. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and, it's amazing. And so we, we'd encourage, uh, listeners to, you know, over Christmas break and the new year, um, you know, to bone up on her book so that you can, when, when, uh, when we talk to her, that you can kind of really be dialed into that conversation. So we're really looking forward to that. And also, we will, in 2020, uh, be taking on the Austrian modernist uh, master, Robert Musel. So we're going to be reading um, The Man Without Qualities. And so um, by popular demand, I might add, uh, Book Twitter is, is I think, excited to talk about this book. And, and Roman and I have some experience with Robert Musil. And um, so we'll be delving into that. So a lot of really, really cool things. And then I have to also add, Roman, and, and you brought this to my attention, our boyhood friend, actually the person who in some ways was responsible for introducing us years ago, Gary Gullman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he has a... Um, uh, uh, a comedy series or a comedy show right it's now a special, on HBO. Right? It's a special. special. It's an HBO special. Yeah. It is called the great depression. And so, um, you know, I guess unbeknownst to us in high school and, and in subsequent years, he was battling depression. And, and I think he's, he's kind of made that the focus of his, uh, his newest show and, um, it's getting a lot of attention. So it's so yeah, kind no, of a cool good thing. For him, good for me. He's, uh, he was the first person who kind of, uh, who talked to me? I actually remember that moment specifically. I was in a school bus with my little violin, you know, and I was a uh, freshly arrived from from uh, from abroad, so I didn't really speak English very well. And he just plopped right down next to me on the school bus and started talking to me. He's like, you know, what's your name? Where are you from? It's a super friendly guy, and I never really forgot that. And I'm so happy for him that he's got a wonderful uh, career right now. Obviously, the depression thing going, but uh, he dealt with it in the. A true way the artist should deal with it is, you know, he incorporated into his work. So really happy for him. Yeah. And he was literally, he said to me when I first met him, he was, he lived a few houses down. He said, um, right next to you lives this 
kid from Russia named Roman, and he is really smart. And <laughs> and you should go. You should talk to him. He is he's very quiet, and you wouldn't know it, but he is really <laughs> really smart. So that was Gary Goldman. He was like, you know, the first person that kind of put you on my radar. Oh, so cool, that, man. Didn't know. Yeah. That. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so. Um, we are talking about anxiety in the reading life, um, but uh, Heston also wanted to, uh, I think, let people know about something that he's been jazzed about and is, has uh, taken part in, and it's the Tournament of Books. And so I'm not sure yeah, if it right. would be considered the, the 2020 Tournament of Books, or would this still be the 2019? I'm not sure how that works. So Yeah, it'll be the 2020 the Tournament of Books, yeah. So there's this little webzine, uh, or maybe it's a big webzine, I don't know, I follow it, called... Uh, the Morning News. Uh, their website is themorningnews.org, I believe. And um, every year they do this tournament of books, which parallels the March Madness basketball brackets, you know, for mm. like uh, college mm -hmm. basketball. <laughs> so what they do is um, they've just released the long list for all of the books that are, that, you know, are could possibly make it into the bracket. And then in March they release, or just before March, they release this bracket of all of the books on the shortlist. And they have this, uh, you know, they pull in a bunch of judges every day, uh, you know, sort of people who review books for a living. And, you know, and then uh, the judge decides which book wins uh, the face off every day. So every day, every weekday of March, uh, two different books face off and one gets eliminated. And so uh, how, how do they get eliminated? Do they talk about the strengths of the two books and right. which one's better to feel? Yeah. So the mm. judge essentially reads both books, uh, before that day and then decides, you know, releases a, their, their judgment of mm, which okay. book is going to win. So it's very subjective. Um, and then there's a, obviously on the day they release it on their website and a bunch of people in the comment comment section go crazy and, uh, either sort of agree or disagree with the choice. Right. But, yeah, it's kind of fun. And I usually read, we, we do it at work. So everyone puts a bracket up on the wall and we kind of, the winner, like sort of, we do a winner takes all, you know, takes the money from the pot basically. But um, I, I thought it'd be kind of a fun thing for us to follow along maybe and see what's going on. Um, I'm so totally reading maybe two yes, or three of the books great. on the bracket. Yeah. yeah. So it should be fun. Last year, the, yeah. the Oyenkin Braithwaite book, uh, My Sister the Serial Killer was the winner. So yeah it's a good and, way to find I, new authors as well yeah and i know that Ro um heston you passed on to me um as a birthday gift which i appreciated was um one of the novels under consideration the parisian right. by isabella hamad um so i'm certainly looking forward to that that might be something i tuck away when i go on vacation in january uh to read that so so cool yeah so we'll we'll you'll keep us updated on yeah please on, do on that right and i've tweeted the the long list um and and tagged feeling bookish so if anyone wants okay. to follow along they can kind of take a look at the long list now and see there's some interesting stuff on there yes and so specifically uh book twitter and paper pills are you listening <laughs> I, I, I know I, I know that she is and, and she is one of our great supporters and someone that um we greatly appreciate. She just has so much energy, and she really she um, she uh, seems to get book Twitter, uh, you know, flowing. Uh, of course, there's other people involved, but uh, she's she's a 
just vocal about it and just wonderful about it. So yeah, we appreciate her. And which kind of brings us kind of a, it's a great segue into our discussion, right, Rob? Because all these books, suggestions, yeah, tournament of books, you know, Paper <laughs> Pills is reading. She's a super reader. I mean, it's wonderful. She's reading uh, Miss Macintosh, My Darling, right now, which I've had on my shelf for many years and it's very dusty um <laughs> but she's doing it and it's not an easy book to read and uh you know it kind of again brings us to our discussion of how yeah. do we get all these uh, oodles and oodles of wonderful book suggestions coming at us uh you know we start books we abandon them yeah uh, it's just anxiety is very much involved in the reading life if you let it which we do <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so, let anxiety in. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, you know, here's here's something that I, I I continue to contemplate is I'm a I'm a Proust guy, but I have to also admit that to date I've only read five volumes of In Search of Lost Time, which is seven is the total. So there are two that I haven't read. And on some level I'm I'm saving them, right? And, and so that there's certain truth to that. But at the other, there's another part of me that just um, I, with with the life that I lead working full time and trying to do th other things in my life other than read, I, I worry that if I start, uh, I, I, I'll get stuck, that I, I won't it won't feel as as wonderful as it did reading the previous volumes. So I tend to kind of hold I'm holding those two volumes for future vacations. But I've also been saying that for for a number of years. So mm -hmm. so what one piece of anxiety I have is there are all of these mostly classic books that in my mind I'm going to experience and read when I have large chunks of time and I'm going to have this wonderful experience. Another example would be the books of Thomas Mann. For some reason, I think I'm going to love Thomas Mann. I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm convinced of it, but I've never read a word of Thomas Mann because I have this dream that I will be in some rural setting and I'm <laughs> going to sit down and I'm going to read the magic mountain and I'm going to read death in Venice and I'm going to go through all of it. But at the same time, I'm not 28 years old. Right. And, and so 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 I I'm constantly reading history, nonfiction. I'm online more than I want to be. Um, you know, I'm reading books for this podcast. Um, most of most of them, it's a joy to read. Um, but there's still, you know, occasionally I review books uh, as a as a critic. So I, hmm. I, I'm constantly in this this this. I have this future reading list, this idealized list that I'm going to get to. But uh, is it giving you anxiety? That you is that it does because yeah. I because I look and I just say, why do, why am I not reading Proust right now? Why mm. why am I not reading, for example, why have I not read every Dostoevsky novel? That mm. It, mm. as somebody who proclaims to be, um, you know, literate. Who, who writes, who's involved with this podcast, I, I feel like there are some serious gaps. And, and I know that everyone has gaps in their reading. And th there was some famous New Yorker article by uh, a fairly prominent published novelist who kind of admitted, and she said, it, you know, among well-known writers, there's this shame in admitting, 
you know, whatever, you've never read War and Peace or you've never read Crime and Punishment or right, or right. or you really don't know anything about Flaubert or, you know, these kinds of blind spots. And we all have them, you know. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no way to cover everything. There's absolutely no way. But, you know, I mean, the, I, for me, it's always been because I read pretty much constantly, but only occasionally, only occasionally do I have a magical reading experience. And those I can't predict I can't plan for. I can't just uh, pick a book that I know is great and just say I'm going to read that and I'm going to have this experience with it because I might not. I might. Not. It's just timing is everything. I think I've been mentioning it a lot during on this podcast. Um, it has to somehow you have to have that, that that kind of literary nose for something, and if you smell it and if it's can imbue your spirit as you smell it, so to speak. Uh, it's it then kind of calls you like a like a siren, you know, and then you have to reach out and grab it and do it because it's an opportunity because you can lose this opportunity and in a month or two months from now, that mood that that sort of um, that opening will close and then and then you do have to wait again for for another opening. And I'll give yeah. you an example, Rob. Um, I've been meaning to read Moby Dick for many many years. I've, yeah. I've, I've I think I started at one point in my twenties. It didn't go. So I didn't push it. And this, you know, for the past six months or so, I've been reading Moby Dick. And you know what? I'm on the last chapter and I refuse to finish it. <laughs> I mean, I know what's going to happen. I know, I mean, Ahab is already, he's already sunk one of his boats and he's in another boat. So I know, I mean, obviously I know what's going to happen. But it's like approaching, um, you know, the asymptote. It's approaching the the finish, but never really getting there. Of course I'll get there. I mean, I'll, I'll just finish the damn book. But what I've been doing is I've been going back. And I sort of read a chapter and I go back maybe 50 pages or 10 pages or whatever I feel like it, whatever, you know, almost sometimes randomly. And I start reading again from, you know, going going backwards. And and the, the there's no anxiety involved because what I've been doing is kind of shutting, putting the blinders on uh, to, you know, to book Twitter and everything like that. And just yeah. saying, this is it. This is I'm spending time with Melville right now. And Melville has been so, so instrumental to my existence since this trip that I took to Scandinavia where I re, you know, kind of almost accidentally reread uh, Bartleby the Scrivener and, yeah. you know, and then it's going to snowball until I got to read more Melville. And so I really got I into it. And so everything, everything around me, Rob, and you know me as a reader, when I get into these kind of almost like fugue states as a reader, <laughs> I, I just, everything is just see everything. I mean, Melville is just drunk with metaphor, and metaphor is just taking over my life. I, I love reading it. I, I say I read it out loud, and I read it just to myself. Then I have an actor read it for an audio book, and I'm just, I just I can't get enough of it. And everything is Melville right now. Everything is Moby Dick. Um, I, I'm, I've turned into Ahab in a way, you know? <laughs> you know? I'm no, don't do that. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, yes, because this book is such a – such a, I mean, there's a reason why it's a great book because it just talks to us and gives us all these examples of what kind of human beings, and we're all Ahab in certain things. You know, we're all Ishmael, we're all these characters. It's a bit like Finnegan's Wake. We're all in this book. We're all, you know, it's all part of our psychology and how we deal with the world. And not only that, but also the, the whole climate emergency that we're in is, is totally uh, front and center in this book. Everything just just speaks to me. It speaks to me. It sings to me. It, wow. 
Yeah. It lulls me to sleep at night. It wakes me up in the morning. And I don't want to let it go. That's why I don't want to finish it. I don't want to sort of be done with it because – I know you're never really done with classic books like that. But, you know, that that mood, that that um, that uh, that course of the ship is going to end. You know, Moby Dick is going to freaking sink me. <laughs> I'm yeah. about to finish it. It's going to be sunk. Uh, but I don't want to. I want to stay on that ship and I'll get back to it more and more uh, as, you know, I'll just keep reading it because it's not a book that you just yeah. – that you ever are done with. Yeah. Um, but what I will miss is that that that, that um, almost drunken, that, that drugged feeling that I get from being enveloped by Moby Dick, by, by uh, Melville's prose, uh, which he really – I mean he – he never really repeated himself that way, even though he kept writing. And uh, I really want to read his last uh, poem, which is the longest narrative poem in English language, I believe. Um, but, but you know, that that, that was at the height of his powers, and it's just it's intoxicating. It's absolutely intoxicating. Meanwhile, on book Twitter and other places, you know, there's Doc Snoopy reports. People like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. Musil, this and that. I'm like, I can't. I, I, it sounds great in theory, but I'm, I'm just. Everything is just noise. Besides what I'm sunk into uh, this Moby Dick book, but that's that's uh, rare. I go yeah. for years without having that feeling, right? For years, I'm, I'm, I'm in the shallows, you know, reaching for this, reaching for that, never really being truly satisfied. But that total satisfaction comes very rarely. And I can count on uh, maybe what I guess two hands. I can count the the number of experiences I've had like that in my fifty or so years on this planet. Yeah, yeah. You know, but everything else, you're right. Everything else is anxiety, is infused in anxiety. Yeah. All these in between periods of great books. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? I feel this almost the same way. I feel like um like my first real sort of awakening as a, as a reader of of you know good literature was probably uh, the Great Gatsby. And I mm. think it's kind of like uh, reading feels almost like a drug because, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll like never get the right? Great Gatsby right. again, right? I, right. I can reread yeah. it, but I don't know, nothing yeah. nothing I read. Yeah, that first, that virgin, that virgin reading, oh, my right. God. Yeah, so, nothing, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, so, so important. That first time, even though you might know about the book, right? You've, you've mm. heard about it, obviously, blah, blah, blah. You might have seen the movie or whatever. But when you actually start reading it for the first time and you – you you open up to it because the book has to speak to you. It won't speak to you if you don't if you just read it as an assignment or you're not in the mood or it's the wrong timing for it. That's why I'm, that's why I keep saying it's a kind of a, almost like a magical process because you can't you can't you can't set it up. It's not under your will, you know. Um, much like uh, <laughs> much like Ahab talks about, it's not really his will that he's pursuing. It's somebody else's will, and and he curses that power. He curses it. Here, here's um, <laughs> here's from the very beginning where Ishmael talks about um, his the feeling that comes upon him when he he starts desiring the sea. Uh, he says, "That's off." Yes, he says, uh, "It's a way I have of driving off the spleen and it's regulating the, the circulation." Whenever the I the soul, man, I can recite that passage in for memory. <laughs> go ahead, sorry, go ahead. Whenever I find myself growing grim about the mouth, whenever it is a damp, drizzly November in my soul, whenever I find myself involuntary pausing before coffin warehouses <laughs> and bringing up the rear of every funeral I meet, on and on and on, uh, uh, unbelievable. 
No, it's it's um, every and you know what? When I first remember, we, um, you know, my first attempt at reading it, I stalled at the usual places where people are like, why is he talking about the, you know, the fin of the whale, the the categorization, the 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 ambergers, the, the all the details, all the little things that you like. Why is he going off on this angle? Come on, get on with the story, get on with the chase. No, 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 no. It all adds up. It all is is vital. Every little piece is absolutely vital. You take one little piece and the whole thing collapses. Um, you know, so it, it's, again, without without worrying about what other people are reading or what you're missing by reading some old moldy classic like Moby Dick. Uh, everybody's read it. Everybody knows about it. Why read it? You know, you, you know the story. Why read it? Well, yeah. there's only well, one for- way to, to know. It's just actually do it. It's like a... Well, and, it's like and, an alternate reality. You, you enter and, it, and precisely for the reason that that Heston just you know talked about is, I think there's always a hope that you know maybe if I pop into Thomas Mann or I pop into Edgar Allan Poe, I will have the experience that I had with uh, the Great right. Gatsby, right? Right. That early, uh, like you said, chasing the high, and and I guess that's a that's a medical fact that your your first uh, hit of methamphetamine or whatever it is will always mm. be be the most intense right. and then it'll never repeat that right right inc- incredible well I, I remember reading dr faustus you know speaking of thomas mann uh dr faustus was this moldy little tome in um in my uh, summer music camp uh, greenwood in the berkshires and i picked it up because i was kind of bored you know of course i had my own library i was the only kid who brought uh, multiple books to the <laughs> music camp and I actually formed a, I had a little library going people would like check books out for me but uh, so, so, so I read all my <laughs> did, books did you charge him a late fee no no late fees man no no I'm a good guy uh, <laughs> public library public libraries should not charge late fees god damn it um, but uh, so Dr. Faustus you know we're talking a 16 year old me uh, with maybe two, three years of English under his belt, and I'm reading Doctor Faustus, which is not an easy book. I mean, it's 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 beyond the Magic Mountain. It's it's one of his more difficult books, besides maybe Joseph and his Brothers, which I also read a few years later. Uh, but again, it, it was a little bit beyond me. But that atmosphere, first of all, it was about a composer, about music, and I was at a music camp, so it kind of spoke to me on that level. But uh, even though I didn't really uh, penetrate the book as a critical reader because I, I didn't have the the tools for that really. The that something or rather that magical aspect of of great writing did come through in Doctor Faustus to me. But because I read it so early on and with such really little knowledge of what I was reading, I think if I read it now, which is what a good thirty years later, uh, it will be. Um, like a virgin experience in the way of uh, my first time reading because I just it's been so long um, so maybe you, you can recreate that uh, given enough time because um, for instance I, I started reading uh, you know we, 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 we got all excited about Helen DeWitt and I started reading The Last Samurai again and I, I did read it uh, back when it came out what around 2000 and it was almost like new to me. I mean, I immediately remembered that feeling of like, oh, this is wonderful, and the prose and everything, and the way it's structured. But it was, it felt kind of newish to me as well, because it has been so long. So I think time, time does make a difference. You know, 
you, you can recreate that. Like, I think if I read The Great Gatsby today, uh, it wouldn't be like a first reading, but it would certainly be very close to that because, again, it's been decades since I've read it. Hmm. You yeah. know? Well, you mentioned Hannah DeWitt. I think that's one of my uh, great anxieties because I tried to pick up um, The Last Samurai um, a, a few months ago, and I feel like my my reading habits don't lend themselves to books like that. Like, I have to change my whole the way I read to read a novel like that. And at the time I just mm. wasn't ready to do that. Right. Like there was too much going on at work and you know, I just yeah. couldn't, I didn't have the, I couldn't adjust my schedule to read a novel like that where, you know, usually when I read, I read an hour before bed every night. Um, mm. And I feel like a novel like that, you need to spend more yeah. time with, you know, you need you to read for longer sections at a time to really. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps out. not right before bed because then your, your brain is a little bit more. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's probably uh, maybe the first thing or, <laughs> you know, the first thing you do after your morning coffee, maybe. Um, well, that's, yeah. that's, that's, you, you, you put your finger on something really important here, Aston, because, I mean, it's, and Rob, you said with the work and everything, it's hard to find those, because you need right. some sort of an extended period of time. I used to read books, you know, here and there, like right before going to work or to school, uh, on the bus subway whatever so we're talking 20 minutes chunks 20 minutes half an hour chunks here and there mm -hmm. and it seemed to work for me but what i found uh, later in life is that stopped working for me i can't really especially with really good books that are uh, that kind of demand attention from you and, right. and participation as a reader not just you know you know just skimming it for entertainment pur purposes um you really do uh, get so much more out of it if you just sit down for like at least an hour, but preferably two to three hours at a, at a stretch right. and just really sink into the prose. Um, I think that's, that's, um, that makes, and we don't have that luxury nowadays, really. No, and Maybe that's, on weekends here and there on vacation. Um, and that's part of the anxiety. So it's yeah. like, I also, I have to add to, I work. I also am a writer. So I'm, I'm spending time writing. Uh, I spend time with my wife. I have a house that occasionally needs attention. I live in Oregon. I love to jump in the car and go hiking. So, I mean, it, it's a question of priorities. And, and I do consider my literary life, uh, that might sound pretentious, but I consider that important. In fact, more than important, a priority in my life. Um, but I often don't it doesn't get the hours mm. that a priority deserves. And and I feel, I mean, sometimes depressed about it beyond well, anxiety. Let me you ask know? you, so let's say if you have half an hour that you can read, so you might not actually pick up a, that certain book because you just know you only have half an hour, right? So you just, right. so you just so, like, go on Twitter instead or something. Exactly. So, right. but, so here's a, here's a perfect example of, of my current anxiety and my sort of book ecosystem, if you'd call it, call it that. So here, here's, here's what the landscape looks like. So, um, I am, uh, reviewing some Helen DeWitt material, uh, in, in anticipation of our podcast. And I think Heston, as you alluded with serious fiction, particularly fiction that, um, uh, in the case of the last samurai has certain formal, mm -hmm. uh, 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 challenges in a sense, or, or, is uh, more an avant-garde novel than a mainstream commercial literary novel, it requires attention. 
and an attention that if you're if you're tired or if you're pressed for time is difficult. So so I'm I'm reading Helen DeWitt, as you are, Roman. Um, I'm also reading this book that I, I spotted in Boston when I was there recently called Landscapes of Communism uh, <laughs> by by Owen Hatherley. And it's fascinating. It's this British architect and he travels through current uh, Russia and Eastern Europe and he's examining uh, the, the, the architectural uh, legacy of communism. And it's absolutely fascinating. So I've, but, uh, you know, I, I just don't have the time. So I've sort of re- relegated that to my, my nightstand. So mm. every night, I, you know, I don't quite read as long as you do just before bed, Heston, but, you know, 15 yeah. minutes. So that's yeah, there. It's an hour if I'm lucky. <laughs> so that's incredible. I mean, I, 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 I can't do that. Um, I, I, I mean, as soon as I hit the bed, I'm generally, I start to go out. But so, so that book is over there. And then I've got Helen DeWitt, um, and I try to reserve her for larger chunks of time. But then I also have my guilty pleasure, which I haven't talked about a lot, and I think we all have this, is for a lot of people it might be you know mystery novels or whatever. My guilty pleasure, oddly enough, is military history. <laughs> I absolutely – I find – Yeah, you've about, always had that, Rob, yes. I know, and, yeah, and I yeah. find it uh, – I can sink into that. I, it, it absorbs my attention. So I'm actually reading a book about the 10th Mountain Division, which were ski troops. And when I was in New Hampshire recently, I it kind of reminded me of a lot of the, uh, the the members of that unit during World War II were actually uh, skiers in New Hampshire. And so they formed this this unit that went on to fight in Italy. So I'm reading that as well. So the, so these are uh, three books. Do you know the Israeli army also has a ski unit? I, are you serious? Yes. In the Golan Heights, there's snow. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's fascinating yeah. um, there was an article about them some time ago in the times or something i forget and and so i also have a uh an old school magazine subscription to um to the atlantic and i i also have one coming from the london review of books so but the internet i i think that's the source of the anxiety is is it's constantly calling me and and i i sometimes play games where i put my phone in one room and I just say, I'm not, I'm not going to grab you. Cause while I'm reading now, I use it as my dictionary. If I'm, if I don't know a word mm-hmm. or if there's a reference that they're referring to, you know, the treaty of 1855, right, right. it would be useful to jump online. But I really, really think that is uh, the enemy of, of good reading and solid reading. Um, I've even experimented with grabbing an old school dictionary and, and reading uh, with that. So I'm not tempted to grab my phone. Mm. So I mean, I this... just got rid of my dictionary, Rob. It really? makes me feel very painful. Remember that big, 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 big unabridged dictionary that I used to have from college days? Yeah. It's gone. Uh, did you sell it or? I d- had to throw it out. No, you because. threw it, was... it out? Yeah. Well, look. The, the, <laughs> you, you're going to admit that on book Twitter? Trashed. It was completely trashed. It's an old. I mean, yes, it's unabridged and wonderful dictionary from 1979 or something like that. Um, so it's a little out of date. But I had to throw it up because wow. I'm getting rid of my books in general, and there was a no no shape to sell. But I I still cry for it a little bit every night. <laughs> 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 you know, but you're right. I mean, this this um, 
this the the screen has taken over uh, yeah. the page. It's totally. I mean, I I I try not to. What I, I do is I I don't have Twitter on my phone. I only have the the feeling bookish Twitter account, which I check once in a while on my phone. But other than that, I have to actually go to my computer, my desktop, and and get on Twitter. That's the only way I have access to Twitter. So that's kind of that saves me a little bit. Uh, but I do find myself, like you just said, I, uh, you know, reading Moby Dick and some. Uh, I want to know exactly what a transom looks like on that ship, yeah. so I will yeah. Google it and, and Google this log line, log in line. What the hell is that talking? I want to see exactly what it looks like. So I want. So, but then it distracts you from the rhythm of the reading, and then you kind of lose. It, it it both enriches your reading and 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 depletes it in, in some strange other ways. So it's it's a bit of a, uh, a Faustian bargain, you know. You you get a lot out of it, but you kind of sell your soul for it a little bit. You know, you're <laughs> you're 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 missing out that on that 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 magical thing that happens when you just uh, yeah. binge read that that binge reading um, more than ten minutes at a time, more than twenty minutes. Yeah. If you go beyond the hour, you're suddenly finding yourself more in the world of the book than in the actual world around you and yeah. that's that's where the magic happens yeah. you know i think for me with novels now i don't read a lot of nonfiction. unlike you nonfiction for me is a rare thing um i have to be in the mood for it and sometimes i'm in, not in the mood for nonfiction for years you know and then suddenly i'm like yeah. oh i want to read about chinese poets or something or or some something about a travelogue in China or something you know with my own interests, but but that's rare because I'm usually uh, on the lookout, not usually but always pretty much on the lookout for that next magical book that will give me that feeling of um, of my world being transformed. Um, and now, what about recommendations? All these recommendations, all these prize winners, totally. you know, Olga Tokarczuk, who just won the Nobel mm-hmm. Prize. I would love to read Flights. It sounds amazing. I would love to read the Ducks Newbury Report and share on all the fun that people are having with it on Twitter. But the fact that I'm not reading it, no, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> the fact that is is a, a common phrase. I mean, right, right. That's the right. the sort of the the hook that. Uh, Lucy Elman uses to in the book, not the hook, but you know the the common phrase there. Um, but uh, but I'm not, so I'm skipping out. It feels like I'm missing out, right? You feel like you're missing out. Yeah. Uh, it's that whole FOMO pheno- phenomenon, fear of missing out. Um, I think so. So many of our, you know, book based anxieties are are self uh, imposed, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I mean, I do it to myself every year because I have this challenge. We were talking about nonfiction books. Um, I have every year I give myself a reading challenge. So this year I've been, I've tried to read 10 uh, biographical books, um, which is quite, you know, I, I don't a read lot. a lot of nonfiction. It's a lot. And I, yeah, I yeah. don't read much nonfiction, but, I, but I've enjoyed the challenge because it's, you know, because I think I'm going to read more from here on out, you know, just because I gave myself this challenge. But it definitely does. It is a source of a bit of anxiety. <laughs> what uh, what was your what was your favorite of the 10? It was the Steve Jobs biography. Yeah. 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 It, it, that was fantastic. If yeah, yeah, if anyone's listening who's who's been wondering about whether they should read it or not, it, it was really, really yeah. good. And I forget the and biographer's we, name now, but um, uh, Walter Isaacson. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, oh, in, in, isn't he the one who did um, Einstein too? Right? Uh, he's he, right. He is. Uh, he's. Yeah. I've read you know, that the, a long time ago. Yeah. The I don't know the Ken Burns of uh, mm. of, of important biographies these days. Mm. But um, 
what was I going to say? Would, but would you agree, Heston, that you you also do not need to be someone who is particularly interested in the development of technology and uh, Silicon Valley, et cetera, to, oh, for sure. to really this is this is a, a psychological right. It's about the power of personality, right, and, yeah. and charisma, yeah. and yeah. yeah, it yeah, it's fascinating, really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. No, I, what, I, I, what I do. Um, is I listen I've I listen to a lot of the biographies using uh, audiobooks. Mm, and, uh, that kind that's of a good idea. Because then, for me, you know, I, I can listen to that to an audiobook while I do the dishes, <laughs> or like wait in line somewhere. I walk home from work most days, so that's thirty or forty minutes where I can use to listen. Yeah, to Yeah, I've been doing that too, Heston. I've been I've been listening to uh, audiobook of Moby Dick while walking to work. It's about uh, forty five minutes each way, right. so that's perfect. It just makes the walk go by like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you find but, you can because like Moby Dick is a completely different beast, right? Do you find like that you can really pay attention and dig into that while you're, you know, in an audio format. Absolutely, because, because this audiobook version, um, the, the, it's read by Hootkins. His last name is Hootkins. I think his first name is Richard. I'm not sure, but his last name is H O O T K I N S. And he is so good. He's a great actor, voice actor, and he makes, you know, all the voices distinct and he just puts a lot of dramatic touches in, you know, to his reading. So it really kind of grabs you. And since I know the walk pretty much, you know, I can almost do it blindfold at this point. Um, I don't really have to pay attention. It's not like driving, really. It's just you're just walking. Right. So, yeah, I totally get it. Too. Plus, I, uh, I've i already read that section that I, usually, that, I usually, that I usually listen to. So I know what's what's going on. It's just right. nice to hear it again and to maybe catch different shades of meaning uh, because it's a different, you know, different voice reading it, not my own internal voice. Um but if I'm walking and listening to audiobooks uh, is a great a great thing. I guess driving too, but I I just I'm about to sell my car, so that's not going to be really. <laughs> I'm never going to never going to own a car again in my life. That's my um, wow. I vow to do that, and I can do that because I live in New York. You guys I was going to say stay in New York. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know the 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 other thing that um, I have a lot of anxieties. I could probably go on and on, but um, <laughs> one of the others is. Um, uh, abandoning a book. And I know that we all mm-hmm. kind of struggle with that. Um, I, I do have the distinction of being, uh, we on a, on a podcast last year, we, we read Uwe Johnson's anniversaries, which is two volumes, whatever, 2000 pages. So <laughs> I didn't, I, I didn't finish that book and I was clear about that on the podcast and, and, and I be somewhat become infamous. Um, the, uh, <laughs> New, New York, um, What's the name of the publisher, Roman, that put that out? Is it the, the New York Review of uh, Books? Yes, publisher? yes. Yeah. Yes, so the uh, New York Review of Books publisher on Twitter said that, oh, that's the dude that didn't finish anniversaries. <laughs> you, should make so a, you should have a T-shirt made out of that. But I, I, I felt like, although I wasn't connecting with the book, I also felt like it was tied up into – uh, lifestyle or, or the, the scheduling and, and, um, yeah, because I can totally, Rob, I can totally picture if you were stuck on a deserted Island and that's the only book you've had, you would totally get into it. You would love it. it, You'd be like, Oh, this is a great book, but it's just the context is not there. And, and, you know, even if I have time, you know, I have, I work, uh, in marketing communications and, 
it requires a fair amount of mental energy. I do a lot of writing at work. I have to, I'm, you know, skim a lot of material and absorb a lot of material. And I often, even if I have, you know, I don't have children, so I do have chunks of time on the weekend. I often just feel mentally drained and I feel tired. And, uh, you know, I want to, I watch far more television um, than I want to. And there's a lot of good television on, but at the same time, I wish that I was reading Moby Dick or uh, Duck's Newburyport or F. Scott Fitzgerald rather than, you know, even a really, really good uh, show on Netflix. And I know the three of us, we talk a lot about television and right. we consume a lot of it. And, and But it's, it is, I, I often feel that, you know, many of the things in life, even the things that are quite enjoyable, are often s- stealing time from both my reading as well as my writing life. And I don't like it. I Mm. really don't like it. And it's been a source of tension for years. And I, I feel like the, the, the internet, um, is sort of bringing it more and more to a head where I often, I, I'll, I have to think about ways to, um, like, like you said, Roman, you, you sometimes have to kind of uh, ignore book Twitter as wonderful as it is and as helpful it is. Well, well, look, Rob, uh, there's, there's another aspect of it. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you, but the, the uh, and I noticed that because I, um, when I came back from my uh, two weeks in Scandinavia this summer, I was really refreshed and inspired, and 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 I, um, you know, I would go on Twitter maybe once a week just to just to keep up with things. Uh, but I slowly over the over the months since the summer, I slowly, you know, it's. As opposed to sitting out uh, on my patio, or because now it's getting cold, and you know, eating my breakfast and watching the birds, and you know, hanging out with my cat early in the morning, and just being quiet and and maybe looking out, you know, in, into the world. I, I suddenly find myself having breakfast in front of the computer and checking yeah. Twitter, and and it's just, and also it, I think it's a uh, it's been somewhat established scientifically, so to speak, is that, you know, there's um, a built-in anxiety that happens when you spend a lot of time on social media, whether yeah. it doesn't have to be related to, you know, trolls or negative comments or anything like that. It's just because you're seeing all these people throwing stuff out there. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And then you start feeling inadequate, <laughs> right? You start feeling like, I'm not doing that. I'm not reading that big book. How come I'm not reading it? You know, what, I want to read it, but I'm here looking at it, uh, the little tweet, you know, about it. And it's making you feel bad, right? I mean, totally. And I've noticed that the more time I spend on social media, specifically Twitter, because I don't use any other social media. I, I've long ago gave up my Facebook page. I'm not on Instagram. So I have been trying to sort of limit it, but Twitter is <laughs> huge enough. You can get lost in Twitter easily just just with Twitter, right? Uh, so the more time I spend on it, basically, the more I'm like, right, why am I feeling kind of bad? Why am I feeling kind of depressed? <laughs> and like, oh, it's, it's, you know, close the screen, you know, stop. Do something, go for a walk, play with a cat, read a book. And slowly but surely that negative feeling goes away. But – Maybe somebody liked my tweets. Uh, somebody retweeted, or who's you know? And then you start feeling again the FOMO. You're missing out, and then you're back on it. So it's a right. It's a, it's a bit of a you know, it's like a drug addict. You're you know, you need your fix. You kind of feel bad when you don't have your fix, but then when you get your fix, you're like, oh, I should really quit drugs, you know. <laughs> you know, yeah. but but all, all of that is well and true. But I, I the part that I can't ignore is 
we we said at the top of the podcast that Helen DeWitt is going to be joining us, and that is that only happened because of social media. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, no, there's there's no question that it's very useful, and we we certainly have a wonderful community of book lovers, and have connected with some incredible people. We we all have, right? Um, but there's um again, it's, it's a Faust, it's a Faustian bargain. Balance. You know, it's you a, get something it, for it, but you sell something for it. You you, right. you pay for it. It's it's not free. You pay yes. for it. And I, I think the the I'm sorry, just let me finish it. I think the, yeah. the the highest price that you pay for it is your attention. It's your attention and your mood. And your mood right. tends to go south the longer you spend this. It's probably a golden ratio somewhere. There's a golden mean where you're like you're really satisfied out of using social media, but if you stay on it longer than that, <laughs> it starts going downhill. Yeah. And I really haven't found that point yet. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't know. Uh, it's you just have to put the blinders on. You have to just set limits to it, and uh, yeah. And remember that your sustenance, the real sustenance, comes from within, not from outside of you. That's the, a lot of times I think we forget that, and we look for validation from outside sources. Uh, but the only validation that can really get you sailing is internal. Uh, what Spinoza called canatus. We all have that. We all have this, this desire to kind of continue with our own thing. You know, uh, we're all sort of uh, are the essence of Rob, the essence of Heston, wants to continue. You want to continue going wherever it is you're going. And so, you know, we just have to kind of challenge, not challenge, um, channel that uh, in directions that we find rewarding, that will make us feel more powerful, not less powerful. I feel like, you know, spending a lot of time on Twitter makes me feel less powerful. Yeah. And I don't mean powerful in the sense of, uh, you know, any kind of, some sort of physical or psychic strength. I'm just talking about this this canatus, this 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 will to go on. <laughs> you know, and 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 it, it it's it's a balance because the the um, there's always the danger of of becoming um, a fundamentalist in the sense of Jonathan Franzen is famous mm. for you know trashing all online activity and he's wrong and he he doesn't i don't think he's experienced uh what's there that there is great value and it's an important way to to stay connected because because here's here's another piece of the literary of anxiety that that maybe you guys also feel is you know the three of us are not we are not uh, in the publishing world we are not academics uh, we are not uh professional writers we are um, people who live in the quote unquote, you know, normal world, everyday world. And, um, you know, we might be, we might have friends and family who, um, are readers who, um, you know, uh, care about books in a certain way, but we're not surrounded by other people who are, you know, passionate about Melville or, or, right. and so, so, so social media has helped me to to feel like there is a, a continuum, there is a culture that's going on, and I can kind of like a river, and I can kind of dip into it now and again, um, and and also contribute to it, right? As a writer, sure. um, as a as a podcaster, and that's that's been useful. Um, but as you suggested, I I it's balance and. 
you know, I, I've never found the right balance in my life with anything. It's always a a, a, a pendulum, right, that that goes back right. and forth, and uh, which makes me think of um, the three body problem a little bit, <laughs> the pendulum, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so you know, reading um, is like that, and um, you know, I was in I've I was in New Hampshire uh, in early November for vacation, and my uncle has a television that doesn't actually work and it's a house yeah, in the white mountains and he, uh, he is a, a very big reader. Um, and so I was there with my wife and there were many, many hours when the three of us were just sitting in the living room together. All three of us had books. Oh, you just don't see that anymore. And nobody talking <laughs> for hours. And, um, my, my wife who is from Japan that she read, um, the latest uh, Murakami book in Japanese. And she said there was no other way that she could have read it um, unless she had huge blocks of uninterrupted time. Because she also, you know, I think she would admit that she struggles with her online time. Mm. Well, maybe that's something that the UBI, the Universal Basic Income, will will at some point provide us because, you know, <laughs> look, I mean, even... Even the weekend was given to us by by you know unions and by people really fighting hard for this yeah. time away from this grind, um, and so I think we're not we're not uh, we're not quite done with that yet. We should uh, keep fighting for that uh, for our internal lives to be able to flourish. We need that time. We can't be always you know ex- uh, uh, sort of reacting to external stimuli, you know, and that's that's again. I'm just going back to the way I think for me to keep the anxiety of of you know what to read next and that stuff we'll be talking about uh, to keep it at bay or at least not to have it is to you know a little bit that Zen meditation. You just have to center yourself. You just have to get into yourself and put the blinders on and and just breathe and just internalize yourself and have whatever it is that's inside you dictate uh, your, your reading or whatever kind of intellectual, emotional life you might have, as opposed to uh, looking for outside cues, you know, like yeah. who, what's somebody's suggesting on Twitter or, or articles you read. Um, so as, as opposed to this weird grasping that I am totally guilty of doing, but I'm like, again, it's just trying to balance it and not to do it too much uh, and just kind of calming down and and letting the, the, the inner voice dictate uh, uh, what's, what's going on in your life as opposed to the other way around. It's yeah. hard. It's hard it because the, the outer noise is deafening. It's deafening. And then if you don't participate, people feel like you're, you've dropped off the, you know, the ends of the earth and you're maybe uh uh, you know, some sort of a, a crank, you know, anti-technology crank or something like that. If you don't, if you don't, you know, like I thought, I thought, I mean, I'm sure you've thought about that too. Like maybe I should just get off of Twitter or just forget about it. But then that, those thoughts quickly disappear because you're like, no, but then I won't, I'll lose this lifeline to the outside world. And I'll, yeah. for me at least, because I tend to be, I tend to be uh, a recluse, you know, if left to my own devices, I would just not leave the house, maybe go for a walk, <laughs> but I would just not leave the house. Uh, so I, I do need a little bit of that, like, hey, participate in the world around you, Roman, don't forget, don't just be a solipsist, you know. Um, 
By the way, one of the first short stories I've ever attempted to write was uh, I had a protagonist that was horrible because I was like 15 or 16. The protagonist's name was Saul Ipsist. His last name was Ipsist. It was horrible, so bad. But I obviously it's been on my mind since <laughs> for a long time. Just like how do you relate to the world? You know, that's maybe that's why I'm uh, I like philosophy so much. But yeah, it's you kind of have to have that uh, that internal voice if you. Right. If you ignore it for too long, if you are too external to to involved in the external world, then then it's just smothered that voice, and then you don't hear it, and then I think that's where the anxiety arises. Yeah, right. I think that's the source of it, but I, yeah. you know, I'm not I'm not a psychologist. I think just you know, after, it's kind of my feeling. After college, I, you know, I did degree a uh, degree in English literature, um, and I remember being so burnt out on reading these like important novels, right, at a clip mm. of like five you know, three or four a week um, right. that I just said, I'm not reading any more literary stuff for a year. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, the yeah. year after that, I just read whatever I wanted um, and just kind of recovered. <laughs> you needed some time to recover. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, but I'm curious. So, so when you had, you know, freedom to listen to your internal voice, what did you gravitate towards? I mean, was that the year that science fiction kind of, came to you or was it it yeah it actually it might have been because um yeah in my final year of college we did you know i wasn't a massive science fiction reader before that but yeah. in our final year of college we read the left hand of darkness by yeah. um, ursula Le Guin, and that sort of opened up this window of yeah. you know you know great science fiction or speculative novel you know speculative fiction novels that um I hadn't really had a chance to read. So I think I did. And, you know, honestly, I think I just read sort of, you know, 15 Stephen King novels. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I just kind of, yeah, I just read whatever I wanted. But, but yeah, I yeah. think I did read a bunch of, you know, Isaac Asimov and um, just yeah. stuff that I was, it was, you know, refreshing and it was something new. It got you back into reading because right. you actually wanted to do this kind of reading. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. No, I, I've, I mean, I, we could probably do a second podcast on, you know, guilty pleasures. As I said, mine is kind of military history, but I've, I've often, I've often come across in reading, um, literary biographies or interviews with writers like the Paris review has these wonderful interviews that you'll see slip out that, you know, these, these very sort of, you know, highbrow writers that, um, uh, crime novels and mystery novels are there. That seems to be the, yeah, of a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. That that's the way to kind of continue to feed that addiction to right. the, the writ bird, which all three of us have. And, you know, certainly writers have, I love a good but, Raymond Chandler, you know, give me a yeah, you know, I, I, detective novel. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I, I read one of his novels out of curiosity cause I'd heard so many people and he seems to be on that border between popular, but also respected by highbrow people. I, I remember right. really, I thought he, he was a, an incredible craftsman. I, I just, I didn't find pleasure in it. Um, it was more like I, I you know, speaking of, of that kind of uh, uh, more genre, I have the uh, John Le Carre novels. I've got a couple on my shelf and I've I, I'm determined, you know, the next time I'm uh, whatever on an airplane or something to I want to go through some of those books. Right. Um, Me too, actually. I haven't read. Yeah. Those. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Right. The, the, the feeling of, you know, Challenging books versus recreational reading, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, but also, yeah. like, I think it makes a difference when somebody, somebody you kind of respect says, here, read this. It might not be a, 
uh, you know, a classic book or something like that. But I uh, give you an example. Um, one of the people in my Finnegan's Wake uh, group that uh, meets every month here in New York. Uh, this 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 was a few years ago. He you know he li- also likes science fiction. He's a librarian. So we after a meeting we we talked and he's like. And I asked, I asked him because I was a little bit out of the loop with science fiction and like, what's, what's hot right now? What's going on? Cause I feel like reading some, you know, something quote unquote light. <laughs> yeah. This is after a Finnegan's wake meeting. Um, <laughs> and he, so he suggested this author, Alistair Reynolds and, uh, this particular book. Um, and I, I picked it up and again, I had this time where we're going to Mexico for vacation. So I started being on the plane and it's, it's a doorstopper of a book. You know, all of his books are like that. They're like space operas. But I really got into it. I really, really got into it. I really liked it. And I ended up reading, you know, half of his other books pretty much. Um, and now he's kind of on my radar, somebody who's a good a good representative of, of, of if you want to read modern space opera. Not that you do, but, you know, <laughs> if you do, uh, here's the guy for you. What um, What is a space opera for Ooh, uh, space opera is usually a sp- sprawling, <laughs> a sprawling uh, science fiction adventure that involves um, a lot of characters. Uh, you know, Star Wars uh, is a space opera. Star Wars is a space oh, opera. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of worlds, a lot of aliens. Uh, it's kind of the whole universe is your playground type it of deal. Often spans generations. Yes, um, yes. Okay. Uh, Heston, have you heard of Alistair Reynolds? I have, but I've never read any of his. Uh, you know, but his books are always like super thick, right? right they're the right. huge uh, books. But he's just he's a he's an astronomer, so he's a scientist, uh, or maybe he's an astrophysicist. I forget. But um, so he writes really intelligently, and also uh, great use of metaphors, and uh, just you know a, a really good writer, a solid writer. That uh, some of his books really, uh, really are to this day. Are like you know, I remember certain images from them, which is always a good sign. Um, but again, somebody recommended that to me, somebody that I trusted and said, here, read this. I wouldn't have never probably picked it up if I was just browsing the bookstore, you know? Yeah. Um, so maybe that's another, that's another thing that helps us out of this anxiety is we got to sort of trust certain people and you have to be in the mood. You got to be in the mood to read something. If you're not in the mood, no, no matter of uh, suggestion and, uh, you know, saying this is a great book, you got to read it. No amount of that is going to really work. You might yeah. try it, and then and then that's one of the, one of those books you abandon. You know, yeah. And how do you and- how do you get in the mood? How do you find that mood? How do you uh, get attuned to it? I think again by quieting down the outside world, by mm-hmm. centering yourself and having that listening to that internal voice. What are you are you feeling classic right now? You really you want to set sail with Moby Dick? Is this the time? Is this the month? Is this the year? You're going to read Moby Dick? And then, and then the answer might be no, and then you move to something else. Yeah. Um, but the thing about the classic books, as opposed to say an Alistair Reynolds book, which is very enjoyable to read, or maybe a John Le Carre, which again may be very enjoyable, maybe even a classic book. Maybe I'm missing something here. But reading Moby Dick is just a, it's, it's, it's a universal thing. It just covers it covers you with this blanket, uh, and. Other books are napkins. You get covered with napkins. This is a blanket, a very cozy blanket, and so hard to find these blankets, you know. Yeah. And I'm always on the search for them. But you got to be, got to be sort of in the mood. I don't. I'm not sure exactly how you how you get there. So, uh, you know, again, being the person with the most anxieties on this mm-hmm. podcast, uh, it reminds me of yet yet another reading 
anxiety. And that is, for me in particular, you're, you're mentioning, you know, the blanket of Melville, et cetera. And, and Heston, you mentioned, you know, chasing um, the great Gatsby. One of the things that that I'm somewhat uh, embarrassed about to admit, and it's a, it's a bit complex, is I really don't read contemporary fiction. I don't, I don't, I don't uh, demand of myself that I keep current, quote unquote, air quotes. Um, and part of me has just given up, and and I'm I'm mostly just concerned with I, I'm I'm okay with I think Helen Dewitt's novel The Last Samurai is a fantastic example. That's contemporary. Well, well, l- l- hear me out. So w- what I'm saying is that so that book was published in 2000. So that's 20 years ago. That's 20 years ago, and so that book in 20 years a good novel can disappear. Right. Um, but that book has, they, you know, there were recently a round of like, you know, best novels of the 21st century so far. Um, her, that novel is often right at the top. Vulture magazine had it number one. So I, I also think that the curation of time mm. is important. Absolutely. And so <clears throat> instead of my spending time, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I'm not a professional book reviewer sorting through the 5,000 literary novels that came out this year and, you know, stumbling upon, let's face it, most of them will be duds. History shows that, right? <laughs> right, Mo- right. Most of them are professionally done. I don't mean that they're incompetent, but they're duds. They're not, they're not going to um, remain within the special blanket of culture that will survive. So I, I've started to kind of uh, let time filter out books right. and and I'm happy well, to Rob but you also have to be careful with that because look what happened to Moby Dick time filtered it out uh, <laughs> out of existence for what uh, a good 60 70 years it was gone people didn't know what to make of it let's okay. let's pretend let's pretend it was published um, you know a couple of months ago, let's pretend that, okay, so but literary Twitter is like, oh, this is a weird book. It's, you know, <laughs> it probably wouldn't happen nowadays because it's a lot of discerning readers who would have would not let this happen. But let's just say, let's let's have a thought experiment. It, the literary Twitter is like, oh, this is kind of, kind of like Doc's Newport Report, but it's about whales. It's weird. It's big. <laughs> you know. There's a lot of stuff talk about you know classification of whales. Sort of whales so Newbury Port. <laughs> yeah, whales. <laughs> dude, dude, that's gonna be a hashtag. Whales Newbury Port. <laughs> that's great, Heston. I love it. But yeah, so it 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 disappeared uh, historically disappeared, and then luckily it was found again seven years later, and people were like, wait a second, this. This is the great American novel. What what are we what were you thinking uh, back then? You know, so who I mean, we don't. It, this could happen here. Why why doesn't it? It probably does happen. Um, that stuff that maybe when we're dead and gone, or maybe you know, in the nursing home at some point, we're like, wait a second, this book. I remember this book. Somebody's talking about that on Twitter, and now it's like now it's lauded as as really the greatest thing since Moby Dick or something. You know. Um, so I personally, I, I keep my ear to the ground. Yeah, I've I always I, have. I always have. I, I have a little taste here and there. I remember really enjoying Jim Gower's uh, novel Explosives, a recent novel. Um, the Duck Snooper Report I haven't read, but it sounds fantastic. Um, you know, so all these books, they're there. Uh, contemporary books, they're there. But 
you have to tread carefully. And then you're right. Time, time is the great yeah. profit. Time will tell you what's 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 good and what's not good. Uh, but at the same time, time is also a bit of a trickster. So you have to and, be on your guard. And and there is a thrill in reading um, a newly published book that is, you know, of the time, feels like, you know, it's a, it's an author who's grounded in, you know, like, for example, the the novel, The Parisian, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this is a uh, looks like a, uh, a younger British writer. And so I'm excited to to to, you know, dig my teeth into that, um, you know, because I've had a recommendation, too. And that that's also a, Again, a fantastic help. Yeah. To have someone you trust says, hey, pay attention to this book. Um, but, you know, again, as the. Uh, as the chronicler of anxieties, I'll, I'll also just throw out another. I know we're, we're kind of running uh, long here, but the other part is, am I reading enough um, authors who are, are not writing in English? Um, and mm. so, so for, for me, I, I tend to, I keep my eye on uh, Japan a bit because uh, I have a connection there. And also, you know, European novelists. I, I like you, Roman. I have, I think, somewhat of a bias towards the European literary tradition. Um, yeah, the also, novels that's that, what we grew up with. Yeah, yeah, and the novels that are being written by um, Krasnohorkai and and people like that. They they come from a certain. I think they tend to be more sensibility that we can relate. Yeah, they yeah. they they're more aware of the philosophical tradition. They're more comfortable with ideas. Than I think American novels, which which have this sort of realist, naturalistic uh, grounding that sometimes get get sort of mired in. Um, but it's it's not easy to keep up with the latest Hungarian or Romanian novelist or um, right. You know, there, there are. I was in Spain uh, a year and a half ago, and um, there are some fine novelists writing in Catalan. Oh, right. so a, a subset of, of uh, look what the the untranslated the Andre from the untranslated blog uh, the oh, uh, the funk blog look at all of his uh, recommendations and, and how excited he gets about stuff that we can't even read right now because it hasn't been translated yes yeah you know, solenoid uh, that he's been talking about I I'm salivating all over this book um, I know so. but I uh, here's something that social media is good for. Right. It's stuff that we a bit of a blind spot as far as translated fiction, because American publishers are shit for the most part, the big ones. And they, they, don't, they don't publish translated fiction. Uh, so we have to look for the small publishers. And that's where the again, Twitter is great because you do find this kind of stuff. And the good stuff does tend to flow to the top because, again, we have people who are recommending it that we can trust, like Andre, like Paper Pills, you know, people who are great readers and you know, use their brains not just uh, for entertainment, you know. Um, but I know, we're, again, we're running long, so I, I just want to make sure that I, I throw this in, Rob and Heston, before we go. Um, I know we're talking about books, but for me, what, what gives that extra special sauce, like with Moby Dick, for instance, or with uh, a good classic book in general, or even contemporary book, is the mind of the author. When I read, I feel like I'm sharing something with the author's mind, and that mind becomes very interesting to me. And so I fall in love with the way, with the mind, really, of the writer. Um, like why I love Gaddis so much? I, yeah, of course, the prose is incredible, and the the the, the technical stuff that the feat that he pulls off, let's say, in J, with Jr. with all voices, 
uh, with no attributions, you know, incredible. But it's the mind that's created that, that has the sensibility of rage against the injustices of the world that I share and that I'm sure we do all, you know, sensitive, sensitive readers, we do that, that something that you can sort of really not identify with, but agree with and, and maybe look for more and more, but it's that mind that's dude, writing dude, these books. What? Why are you bringing up this kind of stuff at the end of the podcast? I'm getting well because we I'm can talk for hours here. I'm getting, I know, man. We can talk for hours about this, and we have. You're getting, that's, that's me, what we do. You're getting me worked up over here. Sounds like, <laughs> sounds like we need a part no, you, two. <laughs> I, but but I, I just I, I can't I can't let that go. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And so I want to share with listeners like how exciting it is for me to talk. We will talk to Helen DeWitt, and I I. You know, I feel reading her work, there, there's, there's a connection there that I'm, I'm, I'm interacting exactly. with uh, exactly. an incredibly uh, smart, um, engaging, um, mysterious things person. that you, yes. you want to express yes. or, you, or you didn't even know that you wanted to express, but are, are inside you, are definitely in you. are like, yes, yes. Right. Or like, or even like something that's new to you, you're like you're you embrace it because it comes from this mind that you are you've been exploring, and you're like I just love this where it's going, and I'm going with it, you know. So so I feel a tremendous privilege to actually get to meet. Um, I have never met an author uh, and talked to him or her that I you know deeply admire, an author who I've really gone deep with. So this is going to be, yeah, a great. A great experience. Um, well, I think that's a good way of ending. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of ending our current podcast. Um, Looking forward I, to the next one. Of course, I can't completely shut up. What, one other thing I have to add, Roman, is I think we should. Um, I, I'd be really curious, particularly considering Helen Dewitt's second novel, Lightning Rods. I wonder mm-hmm. how. I'd be. I'm sure she has read Gaddis, but I'd be curious. I think that's something uh, be fun to talk uh, with her. You know whether absolutely uh, he's, he's been an influence because particularly. Um, you you know the whole idea of um, uh, writing about corporate America. A lot of us work in corporate America, but there are actually very few, very few novels that. Well, you know, Gaddis had had, had, had on had your type of a job for a while. I know he to make a he made make you know make a make a living. You know, why why can't possible. I write a Gaddis type novel? You know, but he worked. Uh, he wrote. He wrote speeches for like executives, and he yes. wrote like um, uh, industrial scripts from, you know, for movie industrial movies. Yes. So he's he's definitely. And then, of course, from that came Jr. You know, <laughs> so so he all he used all that uh, throughout his you know his career. Um, so yeah, well, lots to talk about, and we're super excited about the next one for sure. Well, really, Musil, I'm I'm excited about too. Musil is somebody that I read as a very young man, and I'm very much looking forward to revisiting in my uh, middle age. Um, yeah, and I I I've, so I'm excited. I'm excited about these two reads: the, the Helen DeWitt reading, rereading her works, and of course talking to her. And then uh, not sure how to pronounce her name. I believe Genesee or Genes Grill who's a Musil scholar and translator is going to join us hopefully. Um, so we have this wonderful access thanks to this podcast and thank you so much for all of our supporters and listeners. We really do appreciate it. I did want to mention Rob that uh, yep. I think there's a way of sub- subscribing or rating or something or reviewing the podcast. Yes. If people uh, have time to do that, we'd really appreciate it because I think that gives us some sort of a, I don't know, 
some sort of a leg up in the tuck. I don't I don't know what it does, but it's yeah. No, I can. I, <laughs> if you're inclined, if you go to particularly if you go to iTunes and you'll find the Feeling Bookish podcast in iTunes, and at the bottom of iTunes, it there'll be. Um, a rating system. And so you could leave a comment that would be even better, but you can also just click a star. And so um, what that will do is um, the more ratings we have, the more the podcast will be suggested when someone, for example, looks for the New Yorker literary podcast, it would show the feeling bookish podcast as a uh, recommendation or a suggestion. So um, it's kind of like a vote. So um, if you do like it, vote uh, for us. Yeah. That would be greatly appreciated. So we'll keep the NHS alive. Yeah, and I believe so, with, um, with the death of iTunes, the it might be called Apple Podcasts now. Oh, oh yes, right, I'm sorry. Right, right, Thank you. Right, yes, right. Thank you for that. That's correct. So, no um, <laughs> yeah, and we are uh, speaking of that. We are on Spotify, SoundCloud, Acast, and we are also on. Um, what is the name of the Google musical platform or podcast platform? Google. I'm, I'm not sure. It might just be called Google Podcasts, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, check us out in all of those places. So we'll wrap it up. Um, I'm not feeling anxious anymore. So thanks, guys. Good, <laughs> good. Yeah, really relax. So, so thanks. So so that's it. Um, Robert Fay. You can find me on Twitter at Robert Fay One. Uh, Roman is at Zenju. And I know, Heston, that you're at Heston Hoffman. I know you're kind That's of right. on and off again on uh, Twitter. Yeah. We we want to see more of you on Twitter, um, uh, Heston. I'll see what I can and, do. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. Thanks so much. Uh, talk to you later, guys, and enjoy the rest of your day. Bye, everyone. Hey, Bye. Merry Christmas.